Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here as always. Uh, Very pleased to be joined today by Professor Nicholas Tampio, who's a professor of political science at Fordham. Nick, welcome back to Trending in Education. Hey, Mike, it's great to be here. It's great to see you. Uh, When we first had you on the show, we were talking about a recent article that you published. And for those of you who don't know Nick, Nick has been a bit of a public intellectual. He's putting his ideas out there. They're getting picked up by by vehicles like uh, the Washington Post, which is one of the articles that that we're going to be talking about today. But we were talking about an an Aeon article at the time where Nick had written about the benefit of getting away from screens, which is a trend that we've continued to be tracking. This is going back to 2018. That'll feed directly into this recent article about what should we be doing with our our kids this summer getting their education caught up if you buy into the idea of learning loss. Nick, folks may remember you a bit from the first uh, time you were on the show, but it's been a little while. Can you quickly Mm -hmm. talk about your origin story? What got you to this point uh, in your professional life and what got you to the point where you're writing these articles? Yeah. So I, since about 2012, I've been involved with education and the stakes in it are that I have uh, young children, although they're growing and my oldest son is now in high school. And I've been watching certain trends in education and I'm alarmed by them. One thing that I've been trying to do is to remind people that children are animals and they're not disembodied brains. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of ideas that capture policymakers' attention and children need to run, they need to play, they need to wrestle, they need to touch, they need to smell, they need to feel, they need to jump in water, they need, so you could just go on and on. And there's a lot of research being done about the benefits Mm -hmm. that happen when you actually move in the world. And so a lot of policymakers are uh, entranced by this idea of getting kids in front of computers and doing standards and playing little games that will help them learn things. And I don't want to say that there's nothing you can learn from these things, but I think that it's just um, gone totally out of proportion. And so what, what I view my role in these public debates is just reminding people like, listen, kids need to play. Kids need to touch things. Uh, Kids have bodies. They need to build things. They need to smell things. So all these different faculties, all these different abilities that human beings have, we need to develop our entire bodies and not just the small parts of the body that are involved in taking standardized tests. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then there's another component to it where frequently play is something that is also social and more ill-structured and very different from standardized tests, which tend to be more about measuring the individual in a very rigid, highly structured way. It's an interesting conversation also when you think about the future of work and Mm. the the types of things that we're going to want the human part of the future workforce to be great at. It's more around responding to these ill-structured scenarios and being able to work collaboratively uh, with other humans Does that resonate with you? Yeah, very much. So when I was writing my article for the Washington Post, I was reading about play 
And it's a little bit tricky because you can't quite do as much of a controlled scientific experiment as you would like to do. You can't get two identical children and change the environments for one and not the other. And the fact is there are a bazillion different variables going on, <laughs> but, but I think that there's some pretty good evidence that play has developed executive function mm-hmm. and executive function is the sort of thing. If you're on a rock and you have to decide whether you can jump to the next rock or mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. And it just, you have confidence in your abilities. Your mind has to process a ton of things. Where's my body in space? What is mm-hmm. my velocity? Is mm-hmm. this rock going to be strong, balanced enough to support me when I land on it? Yeah. And do I hold my body and do I, you know, use executive functioning and just stop myself? Right. Do I process it then and go for it? And right. The fact is that what you're saying about the future of work is that's a huge amount of what we're going to be doing in the future. And I think that creativity and doing things that computers can't do is going to be the future of work. So I myself think that this drilling of students and very basic functions that can be graded on computers, Mm -hmm. I just think it's very short-sighted. I don't think there's sufficient appreciation of what kind of world we should be creating. Yeah. Yeah. And you've, you've been on the record with this perspective for almost 10 years now, very publicly espousing a lot of these thoughts about the risks of these high stakes exams based in part on your experience as a parent. From my pers- perspective, there may have been a tipping point, an inflection point around the pandemic, which is making this topic of what should we do with our students this summer all the more relevant and resonant in that these kids have been cooped up. They've been dealing with whatever sort of solutions been patched together for their school district or their school. Maybe it's good, probably have had some problems there. Socially, they've been isolated. Maybe they have a pod, but they haven't really had the opportunity to just be free from their parents' scrutiny and being kids in a relatively safe place which is another reality of what schools can provide. Uh, the, the provocative thing out of the article for me, outside of the relevance of these tests, which I think more of us, I think, are awakening to some perspectives that you've had for, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that is changing now is more of a questioning of what school is for and outside of the measurable tests, what are the things that maybe are harder to measure, to your point, that are really critical to the emotional development, the moral development, the, the identity development that, that a healthy childhood is all about. Can you talk about how this summer could play out? As, a, as someone who's learning to be a bit of a futurist, we want to portray a few different scenarios. People may not know the scenario that we're likely to live in, and then you, I think, are proposing perhaps some alternatives. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. It's a lot, a lot of rich, a lot of rich material to think about. So I wrote the article for the Washington Post. Kids need to play this summer, not catch up on school, because I saw a while ago about the uh, spring of 2020 about how people were framing the problem and how you frame a problem pretty much determines what kind of solutions are adequate to address it. So the problem that's been created is learning loss. And we can talk about it, but what I what I did is I started reading the McKinsey um, and Company reports. So mm-hmm. McKinsey and, cons- and Company are consultants. They've changed all sorts of education conversations. From my perspective, 
almost uniformly for the worse. They're consultants. They're not educators. They're not philosophers. They're not political theorists. They're good at disrupting things. So Yeah. And they're also big in the private sector. The perception of McKinsey as someone who worked at a for-profit organization for years, McKinsey was a place you would go to get the type of analysis that a CEO of a for-profit company would want so that they could make good decisions that ultimately would benefit their bottom line. Mm-hmm. A lot of the challenge, I think, is how far can that mindset impinge into education before it's it's crossed a line? And you've been more someone who's protecting against the, the analysts taking over education a whole hog. Yeah, yeah. McKinsey, they do neoliberal education. Neoliberal just simply means you're using economic models for a sphere of life that hasn't traditionally used economic models. Basically, if you replace dollars with test scores, you can say, all right, we can use neoliberal models of of education. We can fire teachers whose students don't produce enough test score growth. We can turn around schools that don't get enough test score growth. We can uh, do charter schools that get a higher return on investment. I think you see what I'm getting at. There's all these economic models. And and what I'm trying to do is say, listen, economy is important, but there are a lot of other really important things. And like you were getting at is that kids are suffering this year. They need to play with their friends. They Mm -hmm. need fresh air. They need to exercise. They need to be happy. They need to find joy. They need to play. And one of the definitions of play is that it has to be spontaneous. Mm. It has to be Mm self-initiated. And so when you're, what politicians are talking about this summer is having what they're calling school extension programs, which is just more longer time in school. And I'm thinking, yes, maybe that can raise the test scores, but my goodness, that's not what kids need right now. Listen Mm -hmm. to the kids. They need fresh air. They need to play. If you ask them say, listen, would you like to go to summer camp to learn how to sail? Or would you like to sit in your classroom and do more of what you've been doing? They want to go sail or ride horseback or go to an urban playground. There's so many possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. What's measurable is a big part of the question. And then the other part uh, of the learning loss conversation that I struggle with, honestly, is what's the rush? Assuming these kids are going to live to be 100 or at least say in their 80s, the hopefully we turn the tide on our life expectancy and some of the stuff that helped cure the vaccine are going to help these kids live longer. Mm-hmm. They're going to they have plenty of time to catch up. And they've also had plenty of experience that they still need to process, mm-hmm. both in terms of the trauma but also in terms of the smithy of their souls to a certain extent, where Mm -hmm. even if their suffering has been getting bored out of their minds and on their screens to the point where they're actually tired of the screens and they want to go back to something different, I think it's a very interesting time to humanize that experience and to actually connect the dots between this political position that you might have that maybe makes sense versus the context that we're living in, which I don't think many parents are really desperate for their kids to be tested right away. We did want to talk about the political implications of this too, Nick. Maybe you could start to paint that picture uh, for us as well. Sure. So I started following the discussion about learning loss. And let me just try to first off debunk the notion of learning loss. Has there been loss during COVID? Yes. Is the concept of learning loss as it's being used, is that the right framework? Absolutely not. So when you read the reports, it's basically 
all projections say this is where we project students to do on the NWEA test, a common core test. This is where we predict, this is where we think they're going to be based on other students who have had to study online or based on summer learning loss, right? It's all these, it's all these conjectures and speculations yeah. and projections about how kids are going to be behind on their standardized tests. Yeah. And, and then the standardized tests. Uh, are based on standards and the standards, they're not adjusted to each child. They're, mm-hmm. they're static entities that say by the end of this grade, students need to be able to do this. And mm-hmm. the fact is, it's just an incredibly crude way to measure educational progress. And mm-hmm. some kids learn to read fast. Some kids learn to read a little bit later. I think studies have shown that kids who learn to read faster don't have higher test scores later on. I don't right. like that kind of analysis, but even by that framework, these rigid standards don't make any sense. They're very crude tools to see where children are. Yeah. So what I would really hope happens is that this, this event, this COVID era gives us a chance to say, what do we want schools to do? Mm-hmm. And, and do we want our kids to be healthy, confident, sharp, curious, or do we care about standardized tests? And right, right. now policy... Uh, McKinsey and policymakers are really trying to get us to care about test scores. And Mm -hmm. to the best of my ability, I'm standing up and saying, that's not the important thing. If I ask you, Mike, how are your kids? How's your child doing? Yeah. I'm not asking about the test scores. If you say, Hey, Nick, how are you doing? It's good to see you. How are your kids? I'm going to be like, they're on the 87th percentile. Who cares? Yeah. Well, it's crazy too, as the father of a a two-year-old, how much the percentile based thinking starts with your first visits to the pediatrician where right. you're trying to understand how does my child benchmark versus other kids. And to me, it, what when you were talking, what resonated is it's a crude measure, but it's really the only measure that we have that can be quantified in the way that it can be digested by the models that you're describing. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that almost argues for new measures and new models and some time to allow for the the maturation of those terms of measurement. Because for me, the thing that'll be interesting will be to look at these cohorts because every age along the spectrum was hit by this very disruptive year. How will they develop over time? And for me, it's really extending beyond the cognitive development as measured Mm -hmm. by the tests that we understand right now, relative to the whole student, the whole learner, who I'm curious whether there are ways in which this cohort will be much, much further advanced. For example, their their comfort with online learning, like Mm -hmm. it or not, they're going to be much further along with that. Also, their Zoom fatigue will be off Mm -hmm. the charts, which is why if you think what is specific to this cohort that makes the most sense for them, I think that's a very hard argument to say that getting them caught up and tested on these things out of the gate this summer is the, the top priority. The counter argument is that we need to continue to understand these gaps. It's also very much about deficit thinking, which is another term that's out there rather than thinking of this as an asset base, like what assets will these populations have relative to others is an interesting mm-hmm. question. But I think there is a real question around how we measure the efficacy of an education. Right. And it's going to be coinciding with a lot of new education dollars that can be spent. And the other risk that you're surfacing is that because we know how to measure these things, 
the spend will immediately go into that hamster wheel of test, test and measure, because that's how we spend in K-12, mm-hmm. where if anything, what I'm getting from what you're saying is let's at least pause before we reflexively go back into that test and spend model spending and focusing on raising these test scores. I think there's a moment right now to question whether this testing concept is the right way to operate. And if we don't change now, we're going to likely get back into the same routines that we were before. So I know we're getting close on time, Nick, but uh, any, any perspective or ways to shake this up? Yeah. So, so basically Biden's stimulus package dedicated by my calculations, about $122 billion to address learning loss. And it's funneled to schools with high concentrations of kids with poverty. And so if we're assuming that kids haven't had a proper vacation since COVID started in the March, 2020, what means is title one students are going to be doing summer school in the summer of 2021, then going to school at the 2021, 22 school year, summer school, 2022, go around to 2023. So if I'm following the money and the processes correctly, many students are not going to have a proper vacation for years mm-hmm. on end. So Bobby Scott, who's the, the chairman of the House Committee on Education and the Workforce, he said, if the federal government's going to cancel summer vacation, we have to pay for it. It's, from my perspective, it's a horrible thing to say, but it's good that he said it because I could just say, look, Congress wants to cancel summer vacation. Mm -hmm. And I just say, listen, there's all this research about the benefits of play. Play is serious. Play is children's work. Play is what enables you to come up with a new song, come up with a new idea. Mm -hmm. It's what entrepreneurs have. It's what musicians, what artists, what leaders have. And so basically what's going to happen is you're going to have wealthy families who are saying, you know what, our kids need a vacation. We're going to go camping. We're going to go to Maine. We're going to go to Florida. We're going to do something to bring some joy into these kids' lives. And my view is the decent thing to do is figure out how to provide opportunities like that for more and more kids, Yeah, not keep them warehoused inside this summer. That's my political message in the post piece and just in general. Yeah. Makes sense. And, uh, and then maybe even some more structured activities in those urban schools, class outside, go to the park, do something experiential. I I think it's really a reimagining of what school is. Is it the buildings? Is it the classroom? Is it these tests? Or can and should it be something more? Lots to chew on. We didn't even talk about snow days, but I think it's it's of a type where we need to protect uh, the sanctity of the snow day where we can as well. Nick, very final thoughts. Bring it right home here. Play is spontaneous. It's joyful. It's innovative. Kids want to do it when nobody's looking. So much happens when kids are playing and we cannot let adult anxiety about the future take away kids play, protect kids play and snow days. There you go. Thanks very much. Professor Nicholas Tampio out of Fordham University. Look for him on Twitter. Look for his articles. Look for him wherever you might find him. He's got some interesting things uh, to put out there. Hopefully you're enjoying what you're hearing. If you have some thoughts, get back to us at Trending and Ed on Twitter, anywhere you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear back from you on this and other topics. Thanks again to Nick for joining and thanks to our listeners for listening. This is Trending in Education. 